Welcome to the Social Innovation Podcast. We give you insights into what is happening at the forefront of social innovation and guide you through the challenges and opportunities faced every day by the entrepreneurs and innovators pushing the field forward. I'm your host, Henrik Storm Dersen, and I'll be speaking with entrepreneurs, investors, and innovators to get the behind the scenes perspectives on social innovation. This podcast is sponsored this season by Lexel Social Ventures, Sweden's first impact investment firm and welfare innovators of the year 2016. Follow them and us at excelsocialventures.com, socialinnovationpodcast.net, at Medium, Facebook, or Instagram. Today, I'm speaking with Tove Larsson, Chief Investment Officer at Norgean Foundation. Such a big question. <laughs> yeah, so who, who am I? Um, I started business, but quite uh, soon got into the field of sort of uh, impact and business and the intersection in between. And I think my, my first assignment within that field was for a childhood foundation here in Stockholm. I was on a secondment from Bain & Company and really found, you know, it's so rewarding to see what effect you could have, like bringing these frameworks and, and uh, sort of just the, the business sense uh, that you learn at the business school or management consultant or whatever into this sector. And from that moment and onwards, I've sort of been trying to find similar assignments around me. And um, I guess it's now like my eighth year or so in in sort of impact impact investing and uh, supporting social entrepreneurs. We were wondering if we were to be considered veterans at this point. Uh, maybe in tech I perspectives, <laughs> I don't know. But eight years, you know, it's yeah. something. Yeah, it's starting to be something. Yeah. And and what have you found? Um, Working in this sector, what have you learned that has you know grown your appreciation for the sector and mm. and and made you feel that this is a place to to build a career? Mm. Yeah, I mean, first first of all, from a uh, strictly egoistic perspective, I mean, I I find it so rewarding to be able to get up every morning and feel like I'm actually making a difference in in some way. But I think also the the power that it brings to to sort of have people who really are passionate about what they do and really determined to to solve a problem or address a challenge that that they've sort of in many cases uh, experienced themselves and to help them just giving them the right tools and uh, that can help them succeed in their mission. I think that's just uh, such an experience. And what do you do today? Yeah, so today I'm the Chief Investment Officer at the Norskin Foundation. Uh, so now I'm investing in businesses and they're doing something good for either people or planet, built on a strong business model and using scale uh, or technology to, to get the scale that we're after. And uh, being an investor, you get these kind of eagle eye perspective. You see all these applications, mm. you talk to people that are hopeful about building ventures, you see yeah. what they're doing, what they're thinking. What are you seeing? Yeah. I started this job about one and a half years ago, and I was honestly wondering like how many businesses are are there out there that are actually doing what we're looking for. But I've been so overwhelmed with the all the potential that's out there. I think during our first year, we looked at about a thousand companies. It just gives you a lot of hope for the future. I think uh, there's a lot going on. To pick out sort of a few trends, there's so much going on in health tech. I think that's a sector that has been 
quite behind uh, in terms of digitalization, but where there's also such a such a need to to do something as the sort of the pressure is just increasing on the the caregiving system and so on. And then there are quite a few sectors that have a lot of, lot of data generated, but no one has really used it for for something valuable. And one of those sectors is the the food uh, industry or the the whole retail sector. And there we've seen quite a few businesses who have picked up on that and trying to to help that industry become better. In in uh, other parts, I mean, I would also say that uh, there are so many people trying to address the climate change in different ways, both from a top-down, like more structural approach, but also a lot of initiatives going on that is trying to help us as people sort of change our behavior to change our daily activities so that we uh, have a less uh, less of a footprint. Lots of stuff going on in the environmental space. Yeah. Things going on in the the health space. Yeah. Uh, is there any? Do you see any micro trends within the the kind of the social space? Yes. Uh, so I think looking back a couple of years, um, and especially after the 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 huge inflow of people that we had to to Sweden in 2015, we had so much going on in terms of helping people integrate into the Swedish society, and um, I was also really happy to see that many of these organizations took a view where you were sort of talking about a two-way integration. And that's a dimension that that I think many people uh, miss out on. So I think that's a, a theme that we're still today seeing uh, a lot of activity in. It's not diving down because... The... No, it's not, not diving down. I think there was a lot of more media attention in the beginning, of course. But there are some really strong organizations that sort of were created during that time, but are still still around and delivering great results. That's encouraging. Mm. So when you look at health tech um, or health innovation, it's a space that many people might find very inaccessible unless mm. you've had a chance to work with it mm. and then you, you get the chance to spot the opportunities. Yeah. Big organizations, government involved. Mm. Where do you see the innovation happening? Where do mm. you see the opportunities? Yeah, so I mean, uh, I think there are two um, two different angles to that. There are the uh, tech entrepreneurs uh, looking for opportunities in the space, and there there are the sort of people who have a, a long background in the in the health sector and have seen the the challenges firsthand and like just I finally just decided to do something about it. And the best is, of course, if you can find a team with the combination of the two. Because I'm, I'm wondering who has the most respect for the system, just for myself. Yeah. Is the disruptors or the ones that have worked in it for a long time? Yeah, um, <laughs> so we definitely see a little bit of naivety uh, from the tech entrepreneurs going into that sector. Um, but I also think that's good from an uh, innovation perspective that, I mean, you're not supposed to take everything like the, the structure for granted. You're supposed to think uh, out of the box. And so I, th- I think in that sense, maybe the, uh, the, the, the teams that come from the healthcare sector, they are more likely to be able to implement, but could struggle more with sort of finding the really uh, groundbreaking uh, solutions. And what are the what are the do you see any kind of trends in terms of what the tech people are keen on solving mm. versus what the people with the history in the sector want to solve? It's pretty much the same mm. thing. Might be. Um, 
Uh, I think there that the the tech entrepreneurs uh, they have all these great technology solutions, of course, uh, that they that could be impl- implemented. Um, but I think from the uh, the people coming from the healthcare industry, they are more about sort of it doesn't have to be super high tech. It's like finding the efficiencies, uh, and and um, it's maybe more about the process than the actual technology at hand. I understand, I yeah. understand. General business ideas that we sometimes see in social innovation is, you know, equality of access. Mm. So yep. um, giving groups that don't have great access yep. to services they should have, mm. getting more access or solving last mile problems, mm. which yep. can be connected to equality. Mm. But uh, uh, where you're trying to to make sure that service delivery really, really meet the, the end customer. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, the best solutions, I think, will provide um, both sort of efficiency gains and uh, increasing the quality of care. Um, and as you say, I mean, the, the access to care, and that has been debated a little bit, like, how, how is, it, is it only good to open up for the access? And I think that the solution or the, the part of the solution there is that the access need to be there, but there needs to be different sort of ways of responding um, so that not everything ends up in uh, like the primary care centers right. or so. I can hear you alluding to our wonderful uh, sort of the telemedicine initiatives. Yeah, and that I, I mean, seen. I think I think it's great that they, just to, to make that clear, I think that it's great that they they are around and they are really changing how we how we look at I mean, um, healthcare. It's 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 an interesting example of social mm. innovation where you 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 come with a perspective of uh, really trying to make a, a positive change yeah. and, and increase access, mm. uh, and then uh, what's been what what these uh, actors like me and Doctor and Kriya have been accused of mm. is like not respecting the system enough. Mm. Where um, they they've kind of opened up the challenge also that mm. they give too much access to mm. healthcare and mm. then it costs lots of money and mm. so on. Mm. But at the same time, the um, the regions that are responsible for healthcare in Sweden mm. they are piggybacking off mm. of this development. Yeah, they exactly. can see that it's attractive. Yeah. So you've kind of whether these dragons with lots of venture capital behind them will win the market or mm. not is you know it's still a question. Mm. Um, but they've certainly opened up the space yeah. for tech innovation and access to healthcare. Yeah, I think I think that's really good, and I I don't think the right answer is to to shut that door. Um, so I mean, we we need to open that door to understand what the next step is. Uh, and you can argue that even if they don't succeed uh, economically, mm. they might have you know opened the door to yeah. an innovation that exactly. will revolutionize healthcare. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. So I'm I'm really thankful that they are around. <laughs> You were talking a little bit about uh, data and food. Mm. So data is one of these interesting perspectives when it comes from the the tech entrepreneurship side where you can create or leverage a strategic resource in Mm. underused data or you can Mm. create data. Mm. Uh, So with the corollary of food tech, where Mm. are you seeing, like where is is the data or what Mm. data can you create that's really helpful to to improve the, Mm. the market? Yeah. Uh, so I mean the, the whole um, the whole food sector has the data of sort of the the ingredients, the weight, the size of packages, and so on, like the producer and so on. 
What I think would be super interesting, and I know that a lot of people are working on, is to sort of create the combined footprint of each individual product. Because I think uh, many of us are looking to make the right choices, but it's just so hard with all the different products around. So I think that is something that could be uh, could be really interesting. Transparency around environmental footprints yeah, and, and improving exactly. customer choice. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And there's also, I mean, we know that the, the retailers, I mean, they have so much data on us as consumers. And um, Do people I think, really know what the loyalty card is for? Mm. <laughs> and I, I think that can also be used in in, in great ways to, to help us uh, make the right choices, basically. Yeah. We talked a little bit about healthcare, which then relates to government and, mm. and like broader existing yeah. systems and interests. Uh, one challenge, perhaps, of, of uh, entrepreneurship in the impact space mm. is understanding the ecosystem mm. that you operate in. Yeah. What are you seeing entrepreneurs struggling with or or uh, gaining an appreciation from from mm. lived experience mm. uh, about the difficulties and opportunities of of connecting to the wider ecosystem mm. around them? Mm. I think I mean there's also on that front a lot of positive things going on uh, in in the Nordic region. I think we're get, getting quite good at building this community in in, in the Nordic region. That um, and I see a lot of uh, interactions between. Uh, companies looking to solve either the same challenge or different challenges and that makes me very happy that they that they really leverage it, each other because I think that's um, one of their greatest sources of uh, support. I hear a lot of investors talking about these days that that they advise the entrepreneurs looking for money to be a little bit more ambitious about the time horizon yeah, they're rising for. Exactly. Um, like 18 to 24 months yeah. at least yeah. if, if a downturn is coming. Yeah, exactly. I think now we're facing a situation where the economy is probably going to slow down a little bit some at some point. And um, people are sort of investing a lot in growth uh, at the expense of the um, the profitability or the the bottom line, and I think we can we're we're going to see businesses struggle that that have invested so much in in sort of building a large team, building the perfect product, uh, but haven't really sort of caught up in terms of sales. Um, so I think that's uh, something that I would would encourage to sort of try to find that balance and also know when to pull the brake a little bit. Um, and we see a lot of people sort of running around trying to get a lot of money at a high valuation in short time right now. Uh, so especially in Stockholm, I would say it's a little bit of an overheated market. Because uh, Exactly. It's also late in the cycle. So yeah. the valuations are high. Yeah. So then you really have to start thinking mm. about like, can you can you cut your valuation? Yeah, exactly. And can you sort of manage over time when the maybe the sales will slow down for a while, can you adjust costs to be able to match that and, and build a longer runway? I think that's a challenge that, that right. many companies will You don't will want to run face. into a downturn with a really aggressive run rate. No, um, I think uh, I think that's at least something to keep in the back of, of your mind. Um, well, yeah. People will discover as mm, they go. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> we all will. <laughs> uh, it will be interesting mm. to see actually what mm. happens with, yeah. uh, there's another perspective, like if a downturn is coming, mm. it sounds like the economists are not talking so much about a recession, mm. but but some sort mm. of a downturn at least, mm. how much it will affect impact entre mm. uh, entrepreneurship. Yeah, I've actually thought 
thought about that and looked through our portfolio in terms of sort of what will happen to those companies if if the downturn hits. They're or sitting when there it like hits. striking out the names. No, <laughs> no, no, because I was I'm actually quite positively surprised um, because quite a few of our companies I think could actually um, not benefit but actually have an advantage at least in the downturn. So all the companies, I mean, like, for example, Higlo, the sharing economy platform, people will be, I think, more inclined to actually borrow things rather than buy if the sort of disposable income decreases. That's, a really, that's a really interesting perspective because mm. uh, that's also something that kind of beckons uh, for the potential commercial investment into mm. the impact space that some aspects of this type of markets can be, you know, contracyclical yeah. or even yeah. acyclical exactly. where you know, the challenges that you're trying to deal with, they actually mm. increase in mm. troubled times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think uh, like Matsmart and Karma, um, that allows people to buy food at very affordable prices at the same time, save, saving food from being thrown away. I think those would also benefit. And then we have like the, the healthcare sector and the ed tech sector. I mean, they are quite, uh, I think, not so sensitive to, to downturns. So they will be uh, quite strong as well. So I know um, you're a very positive person. Uh, <laughs> I might have a little bit more of a black humor. So I sometimes would, would muse over the notion that, that uh, well, you know, this is definitely a growth sector because mm. the way society is going, mm. you know, there's no way but up for impact entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. And I mean, we usually say that with the, with the biggest challenges uh, comes the biggest uh, opportunities. Uh, and I mean, the challenges that we do see around us now, the global challenges, I mean, there are there is some really good business opportunities there. Um, so yeah. How do you look at the difference between intra impact entrepreneurship and and regular business? Uh, mm. I mean, there's there's lots of similarities in just mm. building businesses, yeah. but where do you see the characteristic of that being you know particularly important mm. for 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 impact entrepreneurs? And where do you see the unique aspects? Mm. Yeah. So first of all, maybe worth mentioning that we are looking for businesses where the impact is uh, sort of really embedded in the business um, so that for every unit you sell, you uh, generate one unit of impact. And I just want to comment on that <coughs> yeah. because if you position that in the impact investment mm. spectrum, um, so for people unfamiliar, there, there's a beautiful illustration where you mm. have commercial investment on, mm. on one side of the mm. spectrum and you have maybe foundations and yeah. donations on the other. Yeah. And then you have social enterprise, impact investment, mm. uh, venture philanthropy, mm. um, kind of uh, living in the middle somewhere. Yeah. And the notion of looking for businesses where the business and the impact is the same thing, mm. uh, where the unit product and the unit yeah. uh, impact is, mm. is basically made out of the same thing, mm. uh, is, is quite a strong demand mm. from yeah. businesses. Mm. But it also gives them an opportunity because there's a challenge that a lot of these entrepreneurs otherwise face, uh, that is if you get money from one place, mm. uh, perhaps from a donor, mm. and then you spend that money on another target group, mm. then you, you're liable for these interest conflicts mm. where, mm. you know, wherever you're getting your money from, obviously there are some priorities mm. relating to that. Yeah, exactly. And then if you don't have any price points against mm. the target group you're working with, mm. do you really have business development data yeah. Yeah. To, to develop the product from? 
Yeah, I mean, we definitely we've looked at businesses where it's more separated, but we see the risk there that you know you can choose to actually take away the impact if if something changes, like as you say, the stakeholders change their mind or uh, the 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 business is not going as as good as you hoped for. And even um, in in if a company grows, mm. which they hopefully do, yeah. <laughs> if they're, they're doing well, then then you have the challenge where maybe you you have impact on business, mm. but the business becomes huge. Mm. And the interest into the business is Mm, huge. Maybe the interest into the impact aspect of it is slightly lower. Mm. And then it very much depends on what culture you've built and what values you have and what investors you have, which way are they going to push you? It's so much dependent on like each individual making the right choice. And uh, that's a risky situation. And so if if you instead assume that those two are always aligned, you will have much less friction between those two. And what are good examples of that that you've seen? Mm. Yes, I think, I mean, uh, looking at our portfolio, <laughs> all of those are, of course, in that in that space. Um, so, I mean, the easy examples are maybe the, all the food waste solutions. So for every item that they sell, they also save food from, from being um, waste. So the um, business and the impact is the same yeah, thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, as long as you drive for more sales, you will also generate more impact. You are listening to the Social Innovation Podcast. I'm your host, Henrik Stromdersen. And I want to ask for your help. If you enjoy an episode of this podcast, please share it on social media like Facebook or LinkedIn. This is actually the primary way that others get to hear about the show. You, the listener, gets to decide who listens to these conversations. If everyone who liked any particular episode shared that episode, then we would grow our audience tremendously. I'm running the show to share the conversations that have helped me during my years as a social entrepreneur and an impact investor. Support me in that mission by sharing the conversations that are helpful to you. Now back to the show. Is there anything else you want to say about combining business and impact? Mm, uh, and I mean, there's so many studies showing that, especially the, the next generation of investors and, uh, and um, customers and talent, they are specifically looking for that kind of dimension. So what we usually do is that we, after each investment, we sit down with the entrepreneur and really try to define what is the impact that they are generating and how can they measure and communicate that. Because that will really help them also from a business perspective. Is there anything else around uh, the uniqueness of, of Impact Enterprise that you would uh, you would point to? Coming back to the fact that they are actually solving real challenges and entrepreneurship is all about solving a problem, right? And these people are solving real problems. We sometimes talk about like future-proof businesses because this is unfortunately, uh, as you also pointed out earlier, that these are these are not challenges that are going to disappear within a a year or a decade. Um, so this, there will be a need for these businesses. Looking at the, the pitches and the applications that you get <clears throat> for funding, um, have they identified the root causes of problems or how do you look at the maturity of mm. the, the kind of impact thinking as it's coming mm. to you? It is a, a bit different, I would say. I mean, some some are, of course, uh, more inclined to solve the like the symptoms rather than the root cause, and that's something that we always try to dig into in like the, even the first meeting or um, during the due diligence process, and also uh, it, with during this workshop that we do in, at the very uh, start of our cooperation. That's like the first question we ask, like. What is the world uh, you're trying to create? And like ask uh, like why, 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 why until you actually get to the root course. And that's quite 
it is quite difficult to find that, uh, um, but such a good exercise to do for for anyone bit, having a business, I would say. <laughs> requires a bit of intellectual honesty. It might be yeah. be more or less comfortable, but yeah. rewarding. Yeah, yeah, I would say. Mm. There's a huge pop culture right now around mm. sustainable uh, business. I heard mm. that Stockholm School of Economics, mm. where we full disclosure yeah. post alums mm. uh, that there's almost like a majority closing up on a majority or at least 50 percent that mm. are curious about mm. working with with social entrepreneurship mm. where do you see i'm just thinking yeah I, i'm curious about that as an anthropological trend mm. uh, should everyone run a social business i really think that this te- sector still uh, benefits from getting more uh, talent, more capital, more uh, entrepreneurs into the space. So I, I, I think I can only say like positive things about about that. It's not that. saturated. No, it's definitely not. Uh, when we've solved all the challenges that we see around us, maybe <laughs> people can start working on something else. But f- from now on, um, um, I, I really think that's just really positive. And I think that also speaks a little bit to um, another trend is that before people used to sort of work and have their career and maybe when they turn 60 or 65, they think about how to get uh, give back basically. And they maybe start their own like family office or uh, or foundation to, to work on something that they believe in. And I think this has now completely shifted around. And, and as you say, I mean, many people now see a career in this field even from like you know, as the first job out of universities, uh, and I think uh, that's that's really really good that we can actually access resources throughout the whole sort of career cycle of people. With with an increasing interest in mm. sustainable enterprise or impact enterprise, yep. what you want to call it, um, you would assume or hope that there also is you know diversity yeah. in that, yeah. and uh, not everyone will be uh, you know up to meeting the criteria of Norwegian Foundation, mm. uh, but there will be lots of different. Uh, um, ventures in different stages, yep. looking at different kinds of things that may yep. or may not be more interesting to you. Yep. But there's another wider ecosystem. There are angel investors, mm. there are philanthropists, mm. there are there's a lot of government support. Mm. I mean, traditionally, social enterprise, as it's grown as a, a grassroots movement, has been fledgling, developing out of the, the civic yeah. Uh, sector yeah. and and living uh, kind of uh, wasn't going to say paycheck to paycheck but mm. almost more like um, you know donation to donation mm. from the public sector we yeah. have a, a living um, vibrant uh, kind of uh, uh, early stage support mm. system mm. the government mm. through the the growth department Tillväxtverket mm. and mm. Vinova the innovation yeah. department yeah. have lots and lots of grants and their regional and local mm. grants and mm. things that that people are subsisting on um where do you see a need for either existing actors mm. to step up mm. or level their gain mm. to meet this mm. market of, of entrepreneurs seeking funding mm. and needing support? Yep. Where do you see, if any, um, an absence or mm. a gap? Yeah. yeah, that's a really good question. And in my previous position, I worked a lot with uh, organizations that sort of were more or less dependent on like grants, uh, both from like the public side or from different foundations and so on. And I think, I mean, that, that it's, first of all, it's great that those uh, sort of grants exist uh, and especially to to be able to try out new new ideas and like explore different solutions. But the, the challenges can sometimes be is that um, for most of these grants, you need to have a new project to be able to get it. 
And what we saw then is that there are so many great organizations that have a super core like business or um, um, operations. That they've been running for a while. Yeah, exactly. But they can never find financing for that core. That, that is really what they're best at. Because they, for to, give, to be giving grants, they need to come up with a new idea and a new idea and a new idea. An innovation project that yeah. spins off of the core in some exactly. way. Exactly. And I mean... From just looking from a business perspective, that's exactly what we advise our portfolio companies not to do. Like focus on the core instead and, and build on what you're really good at. And uh, and that's a little bit counterintuitive to me. Um, so that's interesting. That's almost a call to action. Perhaps we're going to have Tilväxverket mm, and Vinov on yeah, the pod, so yeah. we can pass it to them. This notion that would there be a possibility to support core mm. uh, in these kinds of yeah. organizations? Yeah. And maybe then to, to in those cases, uh, focus on sort of scaling of that. Because um, in many cases, there are great local initiatives that have really strong uh, impact results, but they maybe stay in that specific city or region because they need to work on all these projects. But if you could instead uh, help those uh, organizations scale, that would be amazing, I think. That's that's an interesting angle um, looking at so where are the opportunities to scale the core. Just, mm. I think that's a, a worthwhile just, mm. just diving mm. into that a little yeah. bit. Um, so if you see a young organization that mm. may not be ready for growth mm. uh, financing mm. yet, for example, mm. and um, they, they, they would need some sort of financing to what, what is it to grow the core? Is it, uh, you, you were alluding to geographical expansion, is it funding sales? What kind of needs mm. do those organizations have? I mean, it's usually about uh, adding more people to a team that is doing something great, I would say. Um, and which, which is typically a thing you would absolutely not get a grant for. Exactly. That's def- I mean, in, in most cases defined as something you can definitely not get money for. If you say the term social enterprise or social innovation, in Sweden, um, a lot of people that are not perhaps in a social enterprise space, mm. uh, but a lot of uh, average Joes might start thinking about government, mm. government being responsible for a lot of the social yeah. issues yeah. where uh, in society. Mm. And we see this wonderful um, market group of, of entrepreneurs looking at dealing with social issues. Mm. What's the relationship between government mm. and, and social enterprise, you think? Yeah, it's a really interesting relationship. And I think in many cases, just like you said, I mean, the the public uh, sector is sort of the problem owner and have, have an, uh, a mission to, to solve these challenges, but they don't always have the tools to do so. Um, and I think it's uh, they are becoming more and more open to helping or letting other uh, organizations or businesses help them solve those challenges. Um, and I, I think it's quite um, natural that you, as a like, public organization, you cannot you cannot do an, everything in house. It's the classical like make or buy <laughs> question. And um, and in many cases, these um, these organizations that can come in and think new about this problem and and deliver a, a new solution that can be really really helpful also for the the public organization. They can can of course. Uh, at least initially, be a little bit of questions around sort of, are they now going to sort of take over what we do? And like, we've done this for X many years and like, what what do they know that we don't and so on. But I think we've seen over the the last years that they're really trying to and, and are finding a good way to cooperate around those issues. 
what kind of opportunities lies in this relationship? Mm. What do you think that it might be worthwhile for impact entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs to think about in, mm. in terms of the, the government is a big colossus, mm. but it might also be, be a client? Yeah, I mean, in many cases, um, it's great if the support function is not a government body. Uh, and I think integration is, is a great example because uh, integration is really about connecting people. And if it if it's like the government or <laughs> government body or municipality who is trying to integrate someone, that in, uh, it does not really go to waste, right? So I think that's a good example of when when it actually is about people to people, then then you could really benefit from bringing in uh, one of these organizations who can bring in that perspective. Should should social entrepreneurs regard uh, government as a potential client? Definitely, because um, as I said, they are in many cases the, the problem owner and they are really eager to solve these challenges. And if you can help them think about this as uh, a complement rather than a substitute to what they do, uh, then I think you have great chances of actually uh, finding a, a customer in that space. And you've, uh, through your career, you've, you've worked with enterprises that, that do evolve their business yeah. to start selling services mm. or trying to sell services mm. to, to government, mm. regional, local or yeah. national. Yeah. Um, what do you see that they see in, mm. in, in trying to develop that kind of business? Yes, I think the uh, early on, the, there were a lot of questions, uh, as I said, like, is this a threat to us or, uh, or so on? But um, From the government, the government being skeptical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the government or the the municipalities. Of course, this is a new thing for them. So they're bound to ask the the questions. Um, But I think we're starting to come through that phase and we are having some great examples that can really lead the way. And and that's also good about the public sector, that they're quite good at highlighting good example and share best demonstrated practice. I think as, as soon as you have a couple of Uh, case examples that you can highlight and show to to others, um, you will have a a great uh, great success. That's a great point, and that that really really resonates. Mm. I think we've seen that kind of, uh, or I've seen that uh, trend as well. Working with mm. municipalities, that mm. if they find something they like, yeah. they're terribly happy yeah. about talking about it exactly. to each other. Yeah. And they have forums and kind of these yeah. internal yeah. meeting places where they share best practices. Exactly, and there's no competition there really, so they they can really you know help these organizations grow. Yeah. I found a sneaky way that some some enterprises use is to also leverage the goodwill that's created from a successful product mm. being uh, project being done or initiative mm. being done in a local environment mm-hmm. to say that oh this is the the you know the whatever municipality model mm, exactly yeah <laughs> and I mean, then you get the politicians to sell it for you yeah yeah the stockholm model who doesn't you know which politician in stockholm doesn't want a successful stockholm model exactly and uh, i mean to me it doesn't really matter what the, the method is as long as they start using the, <laughs> the, <Stockholm laughs> the <model>. solutions <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe also one more thing worth mentioning in terms of this um, interaction is that it al- it is a little bit complicated as a social enterprise, at least if you're in Sweden, like this ideal forening or foundation. Non-profit. Non-profit, yeah. yeah. Um, then you can uh, struggle a little bit with the uh, tax uh, dimension. 
Um, and that's also an area where I would really welcome some uh, some development because I think the the regulations regarding this kind of uh, legal entities are a little bit uh, not reflecting how it looks like today. And right. So to modernize that would help these enterprises some, really scale and find new recurring revenues. And some some enterprises are, are, are as, as has happened in many places internationally, uh, resorting to the kind of hybrid model where mm. they have a non-profit entity legally, they have a for-profit entity yeah. or a limited company, yeah. they connect those two together yeah. and then they can use them for... Exactly. And then it becomes quite complicated and then they have to spend a lot of time thinking about how to structure and administrate that. And I would just like to make it as simple as possible to to help do do great things, basically. So, Do you think it's better to be a non-profit or a, a business legally? Uh, definitely depends on what you're trying to, to achieve. Um, if you are looking for um sort of financing from from the VC side and if you have maybe a business model that could uh, scale quite fast and become a global solution then i think uh, the like the business uh, the regular business is probably more helpful um but we we do see a lot of uh, social enterprises where it's much better to be able to to also uh, leverage all these this public financing that is available um and and you can also get the, you can also get trust from being that kind of legal entity so it really depends on i would say the target group or the challenge that you're trying to solve and how you envision your your journey really it would be interesting if we start seeing like non-profit as, as, a, as a growth strategy mm. or as a development strategy yeah. where you start out as a non-profit mm. to get all the free funding and mm. legitimacy mm. to establish yourself and yeah. then you build a business. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think, I mean, that's, uh, that's a great example. And, and if you can sort of leverage all those different parts of the, or the um, parts of the ecosystem, that's, that's amazing. But as you mentioned, if you do have credible impact already mm. from the start and it connects strongly to your business mm. and you do put the finger down and say, this is what we do, mm. this is how we affect the root causes, mm. this is our impact, mm. that's also a way to build legitimacy already yeah. from the start. Absolutely, yeah. So there, that goes both ways. Yeah. What's Norsken Foundation looking for right now? Oh, so much. <laughs> so basically, we've, we've chosen to have quite an agnostic approach in terms of what challenges we want to help address. And so we're really looking for, for the, the best entrepreneurs and the best solutions, uh, a little bit um, indifferent to, to what, uh, what challenge they're taking on. But I would love to see more in climate. Uh, that's um, um, something that I'm really passionate about. Um, I would also like to see more in education. Um, I think we are seeing a lot of businesses coming from from the uh, edtech space, but quite a few struggle with uh, finding the right business model. And it's a little bit uh, of a tough uh, market to crack. We've discussed that uh, several times this podcast so far where... In Sweden, at least, or, or internationally, mm. uh, education is a super popular mm. social enterprise yeah. market. Mm. Whereas in Sweden, it's super politicized mm. and locally owned. So it creates yeah. a slightly more tricky market mm. environment to, to sell yeah. and try to, yeah. to create new models. Exactly. Um, Some do succeed, though. Yeah, sure. definitely. Definitely. And I think we're, we're going to see a couple of role models coming out now in the next yeah. years. And that will hopefully help more we people. We interviewed uh, Karin from Cognitive oh, on the show as well. So, I, so there she, you have one of them. <laughs> she has some great, great lessons learned for that. Ah, oh, great. What have you learned 
going into impact investment as a profession? Like what is the challenge or what mm. is it that you really had to step into? What's most difficult uh, being an impact investor? And the like, initial thought is the hardest thing is to say no uh, to to great people uh, and to, to great ideas, but they're not like right for us or at the right stage. Um, so saying no is uh, uh, something that is really hard. I can totally relate to that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Working in impact investment for four years, it's it's uh, uh, at some point, I, once again, with my dark humor, mm. I, I describe it as, it, it, it sounds like the best job in the world. Mm. And to some degree, definitely it is. Yeah. But uh, to be able to give opportunities to people mm. that want to change the world. Mm. But the actual practice of the work mm. is the industrialization of the process of how to not let down people. Exactly. <laughs> when you can't give them that opportunity. Exactly. I mean, so, so I mean, looking at the statistics, I, I said I looked at 1,000 businesses in my first year, or, in, or not only me, but our team. And um, we made maybe 10 investments. So, so that's, that's 10 <laughs> really happy faces <laughs> and, and, and 990 <laughs> not so less happy, happy ones. Yeah. Yeah. But then the question is, like, can you make those slightly happier faces, right? Yes, of course. Um, so, I mean, for many of those, it's not a no-no. It's uh, maybe more like a uh, hopefully later. Um, and there we, we usually track the entrepreneurs and try to catch up with them regularly to see when at the right time time comes and we also always try to refer them to um, like someone who could maybe do earlier stage investments or like other incubators or other supporters in the in the network. Exactly. And um, I'll confess that this podcast to some mm. degree is an expression of this as well mm. to kind of share knowledge and yeah. give suggestions yeah. and tips of where the opportunities lie and how exactly. you can get over tricky stuff. Mm. So for the many that are super curious about getting into this field, perhaps starting a career in this mm. field, where should they start? Where, mm. What should they look to? Where, where, how can they find the opportunities? Yeah. First of all, the, you need to understand the, the problem that you're trying to solve. Um, and the, the best way to do that is, of course, to, to either yourself have experienced the, the, the issue or uh, talk to as many people as you possibly can that are in that situation. From another perspective, you can also look at uh, sort of potential gaps or, uh, or potential opportunities. And I think one great example is like, how can you turn something that is waste into a resource? All the food waste examples that we also discussed, that, that those are great examples. But there are so many other industries where you, where there is a lot of waste at different parts of the value chain that you could actually use to something good. Also, the, all these um, industries or parts of the welfare system where there is a lot of data generated, but that's not really used in the best way today. Can you find a way to use that and, and do something good about that? And then there's also like all the uh, sectors that are not at all using technology today. Can you think about like the, the established models, like if you um, take Airbnb or Uber and plus it with like and the school system or the healthcare system? What kind of interesting models or solution can you find just to, to sort of trigger your your ideas? So for the, for the notion of a case, like let's say that uh, uh, Maria has uh, gotten really enthusiastic about uh, improving the, the access to uh, housing 
mm. for uh, people that need housing connected yeah. to social services. Mm. And she wants to build the Airbnb for mm. social services. Mm. What's the next step? Yeah, having that first idea? of all, go to the, to the public sector and the people that are currently working on that issue and, and understand how they work to, to solve that. And of course, and also add, talk to the people that are looking for the housing and see like how, what the different paths have they explored and what are they looking for in terms of, of housing. So try to understand how it works today and like what the user needs look like. I think that's some great advice. And that's also something that you can do when you're working somewhere else yeah. or while you're studying. Yeah, of uh, course. Yeah, definitely. Tove, Larsson, thank mm-hmm. you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a great discussion with you, Henrik. You've been listening to the Social Innovation Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform and share the episode you like with your friends. That's how we grow our audience. Thank you for listening. This podcast is edited by Stop Making Sense Productions. Until next time, this is your host, Henrik Storm Dersen.